Hello, welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with George Ortega, Trick Slattery, and David Joseph. And this is our 50th episode, so it's kind of a special um, podcast. And I wanted to quickly mention, and I need to be in the habit of mentioning, that uh, we, we're looking for you know new co-hosts, guests. If you just if you don't want to be a regular co-host, but just want to be a guest and try and either explain why free will is an illusion, or you're a free will believer and you think that we're all totally wrong, then you can debate us, I guess. <laughs> so um, that's cool. And um, let's see, let's see. Um, we I forgot what George mentioned. Our topic was gonna. Going to be. Uh, let's start out with Trick's recent um, blog post about, you know, it's 10 reasons why people don't either, I guess, accept or understand that free will is an illusion. Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. Um, so Trick, yeah, I read that blog post he did. Um, Trick, did you want to read it for us since you wrote it? You'd want to like re read each one of them off to us and we could discuss them or something like that? Sure, we could do that. Um... Yeah, the blog post was 10 reasons why people can't let go of their free will belief. So, you know, just and then and it's not I, I kind of preface in the middle or in the beginning of it that it, it wasn't the end all to be all of reasons. There's there's a whole lot of reasons, you know, religious reasons and things like that. These are just some of the ones that I've, you know, seen. So uh, the first one is and we'll just go one at a time, I guess, through these um, deeply ingrained free will belief. Uh, and basically, I said, since the belief in free will is something that we uh, kind of intuit, a lot, a lot of people intuit, naturally, that, uh, that and that, that these abilities are reinforced by others, um, that such a free will psychology is something that becomes deeply ingrained in brains at an early age. And, and it's, the, it's that uh, um, deep psychological belief that something that that is hard to get by because it's so uh it's so ingrained in, in one's uh psyche basically so what do you guys think about that yeah, yeah. well what, what's interesting about this trick is that maybe i don't necessarily think like i guess for me it was religiously deeply ingrained and yet um i guess i sort of had that awareness that even if I do something, well, there, there's a reason or cause why I do it. So, but for maybe some people, that's how they look at it. Maybe that's how their brain works. They just think, well, I did this, and they think that it was totally their idea that they came up with. Right. Yeah. Well, for me, oh, I'm sorry. Go now, ahead, George. Well, yeah, Trick, I'm, I'm not sure that it's completely um, intuited because, like, one, like, um, for example, the Greeks – they had words for fate and destiny, but they had they didn't have a word for either will or free will, and you know they tended to believe in the fates. And then also, like there was a New Scientist's magazine article in 2012 reported that about 30 percent of the world doesn't believe in free will. So you know my guess is that um, to a great extent, it's it's actually um, taught to, to children at a very very early early age. Right, right, and that's and that's part of what, what ingrains it is is, uh, and I, I put that in there as well that that it's also reinforced by others, um, but but I do think that um, at least for me, um, just just the ability to see the three three or more options or something like that, and then and then uh, make an assessment between all these options and and taking one, it, it does 
just intuitively lead to the idea that I could have actually chosen those other ones, even though it's obviously wrong. <laughs> so, so that that's what I meant by that. But that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Well, and what's kind of interesting is, and here's the way I look at it: is well, you could have done otherwise if you had wanted to, but that's the that's the whole catch to it. You didn't want to, so you couldn't have because you you would have. How would you have chosen to want to? Because you would have to want to want. You know, in right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No one. No one really. And that's the thing is people don't really assess that the fact of how of how they wanted something. So so they just they just see the fact that there was options in front of them and they assessed all three of those options. So so they don't really understand that something actually drives to the specific option. Well, yeah. What about you? What about you, David? Uh, yeah, with me, it's uh, very much like you say. Uh, from a very young age, I, I feel like it was just something that. It's, it's just kind of normal, you know, to believe in free will. It's, it's nothing that anyone really talks about or, or tries to explain to you. You just have the idea kind of thrust onto you and, you know, you go with it. And I guess it's a lot like religion in some ways, you know. People are raised in environments where they're taught to believe in a God and they grow up and that's constantly reinforced and it's, it's not really questioned, I think. Yeah, I think that's mostly it, David, is that... It's something that we're kind of taught, but we don't question it. Just like I question the existence of God, and I question whether it was right for us to be eating other animals, you know. Um, but most people don't question that, and if they don't question it, well, they just keep going with whatever their culture teaches them. You know, you know where I think it first comes up? Imagine yourself as a toddler, let's say um, three, four years old, and you do something wrong, and you tell your parents, you know, I couldn't help it. You know, it wasn't my fault, right? And so, like, the parents would tell them, "Oh, yes, it was. You could have. You could have." And they may not use they may not use the term free will with a toddler, but I have a feeling that that might be the first kind of experience where kids learn, "Uh oh, I'm being held responsible for all this." Right, and the parents are totally wrong, and the child is right in this case, but because the parents are the big people, the authority figure who will punish them. That what happens is they just kind of tend to just go along. Oh, I guess my I guess my parents are right because they're big, you know. <laughs> it's not my that, that actually makes a lot of sense. In that um study that you mentioned, George, about uh, thirty percent of people but uh, not believing in free will, were they all under the age of three? <laughs> oh, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's sort of weird. It's sort of like we. I mean, yeah, little kids. I think are are capable of getting concepts that most people um, are brainwashed to believing concepts, and kids know that though they don't believe in those things. You know, um, you know, newborns um, don't believe in God. They don't necessarily believe in free free will or or anything like that. They also don't contemplate like, oh, is there life after death? They don't even know about death, and so because they don't know. They're new to the world. There's all these crazy things that people are taught to believe by religion and school that these that these babies they haven't been corrupted yet. <laughs> I hear you. All right, so let's let's go on to number two here. Number two is uh, egotism. Uh, basically, an excessive sense of self-importance uh, can cloud a person's judgment about whether or not they're the true authors of their actions. So, so it's this desire to be the, the author of, um, 
you know, something great you've done uh, that, that kind of leads to the rejection or denial of free will. What do you guys think about that one? I think that's very important. Yeah, because that, that, that's, you know, and also that's one of the greatest harms of free will belief. You know, we, ha we have like, we build up this sense of ego and that will lead to like arrogance. It will le lead to demeaning others and all to this like, to this, you know, crazy competition between people. God, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and here's the deal. Like some people, I think, are naturally more ego driven than other people. And here's what I mean is that some people who have less empathy, you know, psychopaths and stuff, well, they're all focused on what they want. And so they're focused on themselves. And what I think this does is this, this causes them to be unaware of how other people have contributed to what they are doing. You know, so they, they, it, so egotistic people become ignorant of the causes behind their behavior. And they would rather remain that way because they want to feel like they did it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I think in that sense, it kind of touches on your first one as well. It's like um, we have, well, it's kind of like good for us to not believe in free will in a way, you know? Yeah. And, and in you. fact, when I, when I count, out, count these down, a lot of these kind of interplay with each other. Uh, you'll notice when I get to the third one that you guys already started talking about the third one, basically because <laughs> because of the first one. So so they all kind of interplay, but but uh, you know they're 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 different in little ways. So yeah. So number three is oh are we ready for number three? Are you? Yeah. Okay. Number three, a psychological need to blame others. So we kind of delved into this a little bit when we were talking about the ingrained belief of free will. Um, it's basically uh, something that's taught at an early age. So we we're talking about that, that how, how uh, um, we blame our children or, and then our children blame their children. So, so th this kind of uh, role of blaming others is kind of embedded er at an early age. And then people think it, have a psychological need to do that. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think that that one is kind of like necessary in a sense. In other words, like, you know, um, whether it's raising toddlers or, you know, let's say you have tribal societies and um, you have, you know, occasional tribal conflicts, whatever, that I think there has to be kind of like a, um, a concept of accountability. And so like, you know, so I, I don't think they ever, you know, delve into it in terms of like whether the blame is... Um, is you know due to a fundamental you know free will that's you know whatever but i think i think that yeah that that concept has some utility in terms of like you know again the way we describe it is not not actually blaming as you know holding fundamentally accountable but like pragmatically right it, it definitely could have had like some kind of evolutionary <laughs> advantage as well um there's a lot of reasons why we we come to the conclusion that you know we want to blame people but what what tends to happen is um when people hear that there's no free will, all of a sudden they think, "Oh, then we can't blame people," and and they and they and, they, and that's this concerns them. They say, you know, it brings it back to their psychological state that that they need to blame for you know for these proper uh, um, things to happen. So so and that that causes a rejection. So that's why I put that in there. What do you think, Yeah, Hitler? 
Yeah, well, you know, this thing, this need to blame someone is kind of interesting because I've sort of, over time, after transcending the illusion of free will, I've sort of lost that psychological need to blame. But for people who are looking for someone to blame, um, it seems like it's easy for them to just blame somebody, even somebody had, who had nothing to do with the situation, like a scapegoat or something, you know. Um, and so for some people, until they lose the psychological need to blame, because I think you can lose that idea when you realize it's not helpful. But, you know, like I used to blame God. You know, I used to, I used to back when I was, I thought I was Christian, you know, like I would blame God for, for their friends having different languages because he confused the languages of the Tower of Babel. So I told God he was an idiot. You know, I used to do that kind of stuff and blame God for everything. And that worked back then until they became atheists. And now I have to blame the universe for the infinite regress. <laughs> right. So just one last po point about this. Basically, based um, what we're trying to teach the world is that there's a distinction. It's subtle, but it's important between blaming and holding accountable. Yeah, um, what, I, I'm not clear on the difference there, George. Well, basically, blaming means like they of their free will, you know, um, did whatever they did, hold accountable as they're like, kind of like the proximate agent. They're like, if something happens and a person does something wrong, in terms of society, we have to like direct our actions toward that person. You know, they're, they're pragmatically accountable you know there's a certain amount of accountability because you know if, if, if um, let's say they're doing something um, threatening to society you know the change would have to come through them you know again we're not blaming them for who they are or what they did but we're, we're still saying that like you know that, that the problem has to be addressed through them so they're yes, identified a, a good example I would give is like let's say that somebody is is working for some company and they're rude to the customers, and and so the customers complain, and they lose business because there's a rude employee. Well, even though you know you don't blame that employee because they it's not they're not fundamentally responsible for anything without a free will, but you still have to you have, still have to fire them or correct them or something their behavior because otherwise that hurts the business. So yeah, I guess hold them accountable. Like well. We've identified the bug in the program, you know. Let's let's fix it, you know. I think yeah, that's yeah. It's mainly for the sake of utility, for 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 either deterrence or something like that. But but it's 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 not really blaming what they did, but it's it's putting something on them for the sake of a future um, output, basically. So so yeah. Uh, if we if we don't want the re that to reoccur, we have to kind of interact in a, in a way that doesn't reoccur so. right so it's just, it's about fixing the problem rather than punishing somebody because they deserve it basically right which which leads us into actually david do you have anything to say on that well yeah i was just going to say that um in my experience when people bring up this um this idea of blame they usually throw choice in there as well and by choice they usually mean free choice not an uh, influence choice like we might mean so for me, I try to explain it in a way that just says that for every action we do, there's going to be a consequence. So instead of a choice between turning left and right, you just say the person turned right or the person went this way. And so, you know, you're just trying to convey an action that happened rather than saying that they made a free choice because sometimes people get confused. They can't seem to separate a choice from a free choice. 
That's excellent. Yeah, in other words, like we do, we try to do the right thing, not because we have a free will, but because, as you're saying, like there are consequences to what we would do or, or not do. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, and see, here's the interesting thing. Yeah, I want to respond to what David said there because I have tried very difficult. If I can write a sentence or say a sentence without using the word choice, I do so because choice has it was always taught to me and always used by other people. Choice meant free choice. Choice meant you could have done otherwise. You had a choice and you chose wrong, you bad sinner. You know, So that's how choice was always taught to me. And so by ch choice means free choice in the minds of people. So I like to not use the word. All right, let's move on to the next one, which pretty much relates to the one we were just talking about, and, and we were kind of getting into that a little. Um, the, the, the desire for retributivism. So basically, um, uh, what I put in there is that we watch movies, we read books, uh, and things like that, and we always uh, watch how the good guy gets revenge on the bad guy, how, how, how the bad guy um, gets what he deserves quote unquote um, oh yeah in, in some sense so 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 we we build up this this thing where where we this this psyche where um we have a desire for retributive action we have a desire to see somebody who did something bad get the same get get they it's, it's called an eye for an eye mentality so they we have this desire for that so so this is another thing that people uh when they have this uh psyche kind of reject the whole notion of that we don't have free will because they want to be able to enforce such retributivism onto people rather than rehabilitation or, or things like that. Yeah. yeah this, is, this is actually something we touched on yesterday in the podcast that, again, has an, a practical um, application and it has cultural origin. In other words, like there are people that developed from herding societies and people who developed by from farming societies with herders, you know, it was found that like you actually like if somebody stole your sheep or something, you had to exact revenge. You had to get the person whatever. Otherwise, people would feel that you're weak and they can like steal your sheep and stuff. Whereas like with farming societies, they didn't have that concern. So that's one reason why um, how sociologists account for like the reason some people, you know, really seek revenge and retribution while while others don't. So like, so there's, you know, the free will belief certainly plays into that. But again, that's another example of, uh, of, of a kind of like utilitarian or practical reason why people would want to like aggress against someone who, who isn't really fundamentally responsible. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about this whole deserving thing is that that's, you know, the, the cartoons, the anime I would watch and stuff would have that concept like, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys, and the good guys are right to punish the wicked for what they deserve. And so that message is in so much media that I used to think of in terms of that. And I thought, well, this person deserves to suffer, you know, for what they did. Realizing, I realizing, of course, that I didn't choose to be a revengeful person, but I had been brainwashed into that the same way I'd been brainwashed into free will belief and God and all that. David, anything? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, going back to my childhood, um, when I'd watch things like He-Man, Transformers, uh, pretty much anything, they always used to end up just basically kicking the crap out of the bad guy. 
that's how <laughs> that's how they won. So yeah. yeah, I can see where where that mentality would come from, definitely. Hmm. All right. So that was number four, need desire for retributivism. Um, number five is the need to be in control. The feeling that one isn't entirely in control of themselves can, I think, in some ways, repulse people. And uh, so, so it's this this control um, mentality uh, leads to the rejection of free will. What do you think? Huh. Um, yeah, the, the note, like the word control um, has a very interesting meaning in our modern society. I actually dislike the word control, so maybe that's part of why it was easier to overcome the free will belief because um, control usually, like the way it's always been used to me has been to destroy something, population control, bird control. Another word, and when they talk about self-control – for example, they talk about not doing what you want to do. You want to do this, but control yourself and don't act on your desires. So in other words, control means doing the opposite of what you want to do. So control was kind of stupid to me um, in my life, how I looked at it. Yeah, from my uh, research on happiness and Chandler, you, uh, you want to like delete this part and all, but we got like five more to go. So we got to like, you know, we've got like nine minutes. So we, we want to kind of like get really focused. Um, all right. So back to basically from my happiness research, um, based, uh, there's four personality traits that are most correlated with happiness and locus of control. Feeling that one is in control of their life is one of them. So that, that, that definitely explains why people would want to feel in control, you know, regardless of its illusory nature. Um, actually, that's very good, actually, George. In fact, I'm wondering, since there's still more points, should we extend the length of this episode so that Trick can get finished with all Excellent the idea. Excellent yes, idea. Yes, we yeah. should do that. So, um, so you want to keep going with, with a longer episode? or do you? Are you yeah, yeah, we, we can yeah. do that. We can yeah, do we could do that until – we'll just go until we're done with all ten points and we've discussed them. Okay. <laughs> David, anything uh, yeah, uh, on this one? I think um, Chandler and George uh, covered it pretty well, to be honest. I ain't got anything to add. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, number six, need to take all of the credit. So uh, when someone does something good, they want to feel like that, it, that they get to take all the credit for that good deed. Yeah, well, I couldn't have done this show without you guys, but, you know, <laughs> I, I am the main guy here. Yeah. Well, yeah, this whole thing about credit is I'm like, I don't like here's how I look at it like I don't care about credit. I don't really care so much about getting credit in the sense of a psychological thing. I mean, I'm glad that I get that I get paid money from my job for what I do. Credit's useless. Money I can use it to buy food. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't get anything out of credit. So, I don't have that All right. Although although again, I believe that the free will belief is so much more harmful than it is helpful this is again another instance where a lot of people see it as kind of like you know uh, based on a fairness in other words like i think i think there's this kind of like common um common conception that like in any kind of a job and stuff there are 20 people 20 percent of the of people who do 80 percent of the work and stuff and like you know you're you're at a at a job environment where like you're doing things and like let's say there's 10 people up for a promotion and it's just one slot and all. So there's a kind of like competition for that slot. So this is again, another kind of pragmatic uh, thing that like people want, you know, to, to have this, um, 
this you know concept of credit in order to justify fairness you know if if you do something better than than others you put more time into it then it kind of makes sense that if there's a reward to be had that that reward should go to you and again this doesn't necessarily have to um include free will like like we understand but i think in most people's minds you know they're you know that distinction is subtle and not really recognized yeah i think george in the business world where credit actually does translate into more money it's a little bit more difficult in that case people do want credit for things so that the boss will promote them and that sort of stuff so i think it applies there but in everyday interpersonal relationships credit and blame are non-existent for me but i can see how i would want at, at a job i would want them to recognize me um for the hard work i do because that does translate to more money <laughs> Yeah. I I mean I think it 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 all fall, falls back down to the whole um egotism type thing. So back to the other one that we talked about earlier, it kind of falls back down to um a, a sense of self-importance and and when you have that sense of self-importance, then you kind of uh, uh look look for credit where, you know, wherever you can. <laughs> so Yeah. And and the idea that you don't have free will kind of people might reject it based on that, you know, that uh, yeah. idea that they think that they're losing some of that credit. Yeah, and one thing that's common to all these points, Trick, that you've written here is people don't reject determinism or indeterminism. They don't, they, the, re the reason people reject the idea that they don't have a free will is not because they have an issue with its truth. Because I think deep down they know it's true, but they don't like the implications of it. So that's why they try to deny it. Right, exactly. David, you got anything to say about that? Uh, uh, bringing it back to the uh, the idea of taking credit for something. Um, there was a quote by a guy called Thomas Cooley that I found uh, a couple of days ago. It, he says, I'm not who you think I am. I am not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. And I think that's kind of in that's kind of in reference to, to um you know how we define ourselves or how we're influenced to define ourselves in social terms and you know we put ourselves in assumed social responsibilities and, and stuff like that. And um you know you've got things like uh, one in five suicides being linked to uh, unemployment at the moment. And so it's a kind of um you know, if you can't take credit for, for getting a good job and, and getting a good career behind you, then that can really have an impact on, on your your mental health as well. And I think that's all kind of related to the idea that we believe in free will. Well, not us, but other people believe in free will. Yeah, um, I guess what you're saying is that it's very important to us how other people see us. Is that right? Right, right. right. Yeah, you, you want them to be giving you credit so you can kind of pat yourself on the back and and feel like you're doing a good job and you're worth, you know, however much you're being paid or whatever other credit you're getting from it, you know. Yeah, and it's, prob it's probably good for people to not get their sense of self-worth from how much money they're making because that really doesn't work if you're poor. Yeah, that, that since, would be good. Since we're talking about money, our number seven is wealth. Um, some people who, who accumulate a certain degree of wealth uh, may find it hard to swallow that the idea that it, they don't really deserve, uh, especially in, on the excessive end, uh, the wealth that they accumulate. 
um, especially if it's if it's above, you know, so much more above everybody else that that there's an imbalance. Um, pe people want to think that they deserve that above other people. That's yeah. going to be one of our greatest challenges because, look, people who control the media are generally people who have a lot of money and, you know, basically use that money to, um, to influence society. And so, yeah, we're going to have to come up with uh, ways to convince them to, to promote this unfree will belief that, that seem much more salient and important than, than their personal, um, you know, life and all. Yeah, basically, George, what we have to do is we can't outcompete the free will crowd with money. They've got more money. So it's got to be the truth, the logic, and the happiness gained from the no free will understanding that we have to promote that is will be more important to people than money. Which could be tough to do, definitely. <laughs> yes, that'll be very tough to do in this world. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. All right. Yeah. Number eight, hatred and anger. Um, many people hold uh, anger or hatred or some type of grudge towards other people. And as soon as they you know, recognize that they don't have free will, they have to kind of justify those those uh, emotions that they're having in some way, and, and and people don't like that. They don't like to have to justify the the grudge that they hold over other people. Yeah, in in psychology, anger is defined generally as a reaction against a perceived injustice. It, it may not be an actual injustice, but a person you know perceives that something is happening is unfair. And yeah, I think. When a person is confronted with a situation like that, they're, they kind of like are looking for a target that, you know, again, this goes back to the, the idea of accountability. There has to be somebody who's, who's quote unquote, held responsible for this injustice so it could be like, you know, remedied or repaired. But un unfortunately, I guess, yeah, the free will belief just moves beyond that to then focusing on you know the, the the evil of the the, the act, and again the, the um, needing to counter that with hatred. You know, I think religion often, even though they say they don't, they teach people to hate. You know, people who who do things wrong. So. Yeah, yeah. There's that idea that they stay angry and hate people, and I guess for some reason it makes them feel better in some way to be angry at people, but it doesn't feel good for me. I'd, I'd say that sometimes that they may feel that they're hating someone or, or just pushing their hate towards someone is a good thing. They might feel that it's helping someone change in some way. So if you take, for example, like the fat shaming or, or fat hating, you know, you could, you could kind of see where they think that they're doing the fat people a favor because apparently they feel that if they shame fat people or if they hate fat people enough, then fat people will start losing weight and they'll become healthier and, and they'll live longer. <laughs> so, they think, <laughs> so, yeah, so they think <laughs> so what you're saying, David, is they think that, that hating fat people will make them less fat. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I've actually had this explained to me by people on YouTube. So well, I, yeah, think there's a, true. I think there's a difference between... Um, having real anger and using kind of like an angry attitude for the sake of um, changing somebody's 
position or something like that. Um, I think I think when we have the real anger, that's kind of when the problem sets in because there's really no justification for that. But there could technically be a justification for applying what seems to be an angry um, attitude or, or something like that towards another for the sake of changing uh, a future thing. So, so it's excellent actually, point. So it's actually not always necessarily because they hate them, but they actually are wanting to help them. And they come across as hateful the way they act and the way they speak. Exactly. And I, and I think I think the problem comes when people have the real anger. When they're really angry at somebody, <laughs> they're not just they're not just um, doing some kind of guise of, of anger to to ca cause something. They're they're actually really angry at the person or or hate them. So. Yeah, I think like again when when dealing with toddlers, you know, you you might want to pretend that like you're angry at the toddler for doing something, but like you know, a lot of parents will just like also let the the toddler know that they're not really angry. So absolutely. Yeah, that's important. Okay, let's move on to number nine: the feeling that we are contained selves. Um, the feeling that we have this I um, is a powerful feeling. Uh, it's hard to imagine that what we perceive as a self really extends outward to all these other variables, all these other events uh, that make up our body and consciousness that, that what we, what we um, perceive within our mind is really influenced by everything around us. It's, it's, it's that we, we actually extend outward throughout the universe. We don't just extend to our physical body itself. Yeah. And that's a very important point, Trick, because here's how I look at it is that, you know, like I'm one with the universe, sort of like that realizing that everything that even makes up my physical body literally um, came from a sperm and an egg and everything I've eaten since. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, yeah, so there's that. And but then most people, they want to believe in a self that's a mind that's them, a spirit or a soul, a mind that's just them that exists independently from the body. Um, and what's interesting about that is, you know, if people believe that that's one thing, but it's still causal. What that mind believes, what that mind supposedly chooses is still causal. It has to stem from prior causes. Right, right. So, so basically our mind, whatever we're thinking at, at any given time, is really um, a product of everything around us, including the people we talk to, including... So, so it's, it's just a product of everything that we uh, interact with. Yes. But people, yeah. don't, people don't want to see that. They, they want to see themselves as something uh, kind of bottled up as, as something special. It's almost, yeah, it's almost like they want to be a domino apart from the train of dominoes or something. <laughs> and like that they, want, that they think that they're a domino that exists apart from the train and that they can fall when they choose to, and that no other domino has pushed them. Yeah, and again, I think this may have a cultural influence in that, like, in the East, like in Russia and other parts of the world, they're, they're more collectivist in their um, attitude toward themselves and others. In other words, like, they, 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 we here in the West are, are very individualistic, so that that's, that's going to, like, feed into that desire to just, like, you know, just, or that, that, um, that perception of, being separate from other people and, and everything else. Yeah. I think I made my quote too early, didn't I? I, sh I should have put the quote in now. 
But the what? <laughs> you, you've already forgotten my quote. <laughs> Look at the quote from uh, Thomas Kuhl. Oh, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's perfect for this. Yeah. yeah ah. too, too bad. Never mind. <laughs> you, can, you can edit that in later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. So I guess number 10 is next. Yep. The final one. Um, thinking that free will is needed for morality. Um, the idea that uh, without free will, morality falls apart uh, is a common idea. It's, it's something that a lot of people think is the case. Um, and uh, and it's, usually it's usually due to a conflation between uh, morality and uh, moral responsibility, meaning someone being responsible for acting immoral or, immoral or something like that. So what do you guys think about that one? That's well, powerful. Yeah. Well, here's what's interesting is that I, I guess I look at that claim and I think of that as saying, well, that belief in Santa Claus is required for morality. It, it really seems like that way. Just like there are people who say that, you know, you have to believe in a God to be moral. Um, and I think when it gets into morality, it's not a very strong case um, to use against free will not that uh, not to the, the no free will thing not that anything really is a strong case um, to, in defense of free will but what I'm saying here is once you get into morality well then you have the problem that there's certain people that believe divine command theory um, and and something like that which is inherently free will based like that God freely chooses, uh, uh, God wakes up and commands, well, murder is okay today, so it's moral because God said so. So that's part of the problem. Whereas, you know, guys like us, like all of us, I think on this podcast, we view morality as, um, you know, we seek pleasure and avoid pain. The hedonic imperative sort of um, is underneath our sense of what morality is. Um, and I think that since we're hardwired to do that and we don't we don't like to feel pain ourselves, and so we avoid it, uh, avoid causing pain to others, unless of course we believe in free will and think they deserve it. Well, then we can be highly moral without a free will, once you look at it in those terms. That I think is the problem. Many people fear that, like, you know, they don't recognize the distinction that uh, that basically we need to hold people accountable even though we don't have a free will. People fear that, well, if, if everybody thinks we don't have a free will, then it would be unfair to hold people accountable. In a certain sense, they're right. It, it, it's unfair that the universe made them do that, and it's unfair that they have to be punished. But in terms of like, um, you know, basically there's, there's part of our society already does this very effectively. The um, Basically, within the mental health system, whether it's in hospitals or in prisons for the criminally insane, whatever, there's not a, an attitude among professionals there that these people are responsible because I think there's an understanding that there's some kind of like biological, neurochemical, you know, some kind of an illness that's causing their, you know, aberrant behavior. But nonetheless, they're held responsible, again, because of this reward punishment thing and, and the need to to maintain order and and you know civilization that that and and they recognize it's not it's not about free will it's simply about maintaining order yeah um and what what it really comes down to is that we can't take the credit for if we're more moral than somebody else that's not what it's about it's about 
for me, um, it's, you know, the whole concept of treating others as you want to be treated is that in that's supposed to spread is that is that there is sort of a karma that goes on, not a religious sense, Hinduism or anything, but just that if you treat people well, they're going to like you and they're going to treat you well. And they might, and that everyone starts treating everybody nicer. And so it's a whole utilitarian thing of the way we treat people. So that's where I think we can maintain order where it, for the most part, people aren't being hurt and everyone feels like they are accepted and you know what i'm saying like yep. live in peace basically and, and matter of fact um you, you bring up utilitarianism um that's probably the one um ethical or moral system that is actually compatible with the no free will thing where, there, where there's a lot of um if you when you get into the philosophy of, of morality there's a lot of systems out there that kind of require uh um the notion of free will. So, so yeah. like Kantian ethics and things like that, they all require that, that you have some sort of free will. And, and that's, I think that a lot of people, especially in the philosophical community, might find problematic. So, Yeah, and that's the thing, Trick, because I've read some of, uh, in your book, um, Breaking the Free Will Illusion, I read, you know, about different theories of morality, and I'm looking forward to your book about ethics, too, because there are certain... There are only certain ethical theories that are compatible with the understanding that we don't have free will because a lot of them are free will based and therefore are automatically just wiped off the chessboard for people like us. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the title of that gonna, is going to be something like causal ethics. That's, I think, what, what, what I'm going to call it. <laughs> so. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> David? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that... Um... Penn Gillette, he, he said something along the lines of, uh, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God and I murder people as much as I want to, which is never. <laughs> and I just think, I think that's the same for free will, basically. It's just like a, a social contract that we happen to be influenced into and that's where we get whatever it is we get and what we put into society. So. Yeah. And realizing that we're all part of one universe and that we're all interrelated shows that hurting one member really just damages the group. And so basically a selfish person under that understanding will be, uh, will be moral because their self includes others. <laughs> it's, it's actually interesting because um, one thing I had brought up and that we might want to do in a future podcast um, – it is the objective versus subjective morality because there's so much confusion over that. People saying, "Oh, well, that's well, that's just your opinion that that's right or that's wrong." And yeah, th those words themselves have major problems because they're they're so uh, ambiguous uh, in regards to semantics. So yeah, and it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing trick because I've looked up the word objective. I've looked it up on some online dictionaries, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. Like one definition is like, you know, it's not dependent on something else. I'm like, what are you talking about? Everything is dependent on something else. So there's no objective anything if it's defined that way. So when people talk about um, an objective morality, well, objective from, you know, yeah, I don't know. And then subjective, like a lot of people are relativists, like, oh, well, it's all just opinion. Oh, well, it's, it's wrong to rape people. Well, oh, that's just your opinion. 
you know, and, and so I that I guess that bothers me. So we'll definitely yeah. want to cover that in another podcast about yeah, yeah. How I'd, we like, I'd like to talk about that. I don't know how how it relates to the free will topic so much. Um, maybe we can do the, one of those other podcasts that you were talking about before. Yeah, well, actually, but, uh, it does relate to free will trick, and I just want to quickly mention that if we are not the first causers of our thoughts and feelings about morality, then how can you say that it's just our opinion, that we just self-chose of our free will to have an opinion? And so there has to be something that transcends our opinions, that our opinions came from. So it's heavily free will related, I think. Okay. Well, we can get into it on, in this podcast then. Uh, yeah. Okay. What do you think, George? I think well, I think that's pretty much it, right? So we covered all. Yeah, ten. it's excellent, Thanks. awesome. Yeah, we covered we covered all ten of Trick's points, and we got to talk a little bit about each of them. So that's really good. So, um, I yeah. did note that there was other points, like you know, obviously the whole religious thing. I didn't put in here. Um, that's a that's probably a big one. You know, a lot of people. Oh God! They're, uh, they're yeah, they're afraid taught. they're going to go to hell if they believe if they disbelieve in free will. Oh yeah, that's no, exactly. Or, yeah. Or they're just they're just taught free you know free will by pastors and Trick, like you, that. you so. should do another blog post on just exclusively the religious regions because those are major. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and we'll want to do this more often. When we'll want to read Trick's blog post because he's got so much on his blog about this. It's definitely cool for us to do this. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's funny. I make the I make a lot of my blog posts so when I'm debating people, I can point to them, so I don't have to rehash the same arguments over and over and over. Very cool. Yeah. And it's very good, and that gives me a link I can put in the description of of these when I upload them. Yeah. So okay, yeah, we're we're almost at forty six minutes. Any final comments before we close it? Nope. Okay. Nope. Well, um, you've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs, George Ortega, Trick Slattery, and David Joseph. And we covered all ten of, of Trick Slattery's um, points about um, what, why people, it's hard for them to give up their belief in free will. Um, and so I plan on putting the link to that post um, when I upload this podcast. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.